You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Andrea N. Richeson is the editor of the anthology The May Queen, Women on Life, Work, and Pulling It All Together in Your 30s. Her new anthology is Because I Love Her, 34 Women Writers Reflect on the Mother-Daughter Bond, which includes contributions by Karen Joy Fowler and Anne-Marie Feld. Thank you for joining me, Andrea. Thank you for having me. And Karen? Thank you. And Anne-Marie Feld. Nice to be here. Andrea You go by Nikki, right? I do. Okay. Uh, Nikki, tell me about your youth. You grew up in Tennessee. Oh, my God. I didn't think we were going to talk about that. I'm a hillbilly. Do you want me to do my accent for you? Yeah, I'm from East Tennessee. My family's still there as well, and all of my grandparents as well. So they're all um, living in the hills. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you had, uh, I think, the way you describe your mother, I mean, I'm surprised your last name isn't Cleaver. You know, she was kind of that way. She was a little bit Betty Crocker, and um, she was sort of the perfect mother. And I think part of the reason I wanted to do this book was to sort of uh, drive a wedge in that idea of perfect mother, because I think it's it does um, a disservice to mother-daughter relationships. So, Well, it's a really fascinating concept. When you conceived of this anthology, could you talk about just uh, thinking this idea and then turning a, a, a pretty straightforward idea into a really interesting book with a lot of people in it. Yeah. I, um, after I had my daughter five years ago, I wanted to create a book about this fascinating, complicated relationship. And so I started, um, I kind of started with the contributors I had from the May Queen. There are four of whom are in this anthology as well. And then, of course, they have their own network of writers. So I contacted their friends and it it happened very quickly. It was within probably two or three months I had all, about all 34 of my my writers. So, wow, that's a, that's amazing. Uh, Karen, could you tell me a little bit about how you found out about this anthology? Well, Nikki emailed me, and um, I did what I have to somewhat shamefacedly admit that I often do, which is to look at the deadline and think, "Oh, God, that's months off. Of course, of course, that will be no problem." And I, I will uh, say that I think if Nikki had not continued to email me saying, you know, we're looking forward to seeing your essay anytime now, we're expecting your essay, I probably would never have actually done it. But she was very dogged, uh, showing up in my email, always very pleasant, always, you know, never any suggestion that I was overdue or that I was disappointing, but always, you know, filled with enthusiasm and confidence and Eventually, I thought, oh, I guess I'm actually going to be writing this essay. (laughs) And and tell us about how you found out about it. Um, Well, Nikki contacted me via email as well. I think she had read a piece that I had written for another anthology called Mommy Wars, and I think she felt like I would be a good fit for this. And like Karen, I, I, I said, yes, absolutely, I can do this. And then, you know, I got many, many emails from Nikki saying, okay, we're looking forward to it. And I kept asking for more time, and she was very generous with her time. And um, and now it's all together. Um, uh, Nikki, could you talk about uh, the format that you created for this? Because the, the pieces read really nicely together. Mm-hmm. It seems like you did a lot of work um, 
telling people, giving people the right springboard to come up with a coherent anthology. One would think, but no, that wasn't necessary, <laughs> in fact. And in fact, I, with both my anthologies, I really like to give the writers a great deal of freedom to write about <clears throat> whatever they want. So because I don't, I don't, I really like anthologies that have sort of a broader idea behind them rather than just we're going to write an anthology about how much we love our dogs or you know I just that's not interesting to me so I really did let them kind of go with it and then it, it, it just sort of magically comes together I don't know I <laughs> it works that way though both times so and now I'm editing a father-daughter anthology and I have to say the same was true of, of that one as well so that's very interesting yeah um, one of the things that I think you must have found yourself experiencing is, is that a lot of your contributors who went to write about their relationships with their mothers and their daughters must have engaged on a process of discovery, self-discovery through writing. I think that's true of all writers, though. But in this case, it's, it's writing about something that's deeply personal. And so in my mind, there's two, write, two kinds of writers. There are those that can write about personal topics and those that are much more private and I have to say that I, I was, I'm, I'm a private person, and so, I, you know, it's it's a difficult thing, and I really admire these writers for being able to do that, to go there and write about, you know, things that are so intimate, so. Well, it's a really interesting relationship, too, because there's a kind of, it's a, uh, when I was thinking about it, that just the basic idea, it's a kind of a through the mirror. It's a, it's a real Alice in Wonderland idea, because you get, the person who's doing the writing is a reflection on both sides. Uh, of of the other people they're writing about. That's true, and and I think in the in the introduction, I sort of describe that these are women that are reflecting on their experiences, young children, and remembering their mother and how she was, and then now kind of being in that role, being a mother to a child or to a grown woman. In Karen's case, it's it's reflecting, and it's also the memory of it is so rich. Your own experience, and then also living sort of vicariously through your child. I, I at least I do that to some extent. So. I, I've experienced that myself. Uh, Karen, uh, I think you have a, your essay is, is very interesting because you, your, your daughter is an adult now, and I think that's a different relationship, isn't it? Yes. When I read through, uh, when the book was published and I got to see the essays that other writers had, had submitted, I've, I realized that I was one of a handful uh, whose daughter was actually uh, all grown up and and therefore, I was much, much older than most of the people in the book. But it is, you know, I, I, my daughter is a, a tremendous person, I think, a, a absolutely brilliant. And, and I'm very proud of her, although, which I hope she'll hear this broadcast at some point because she has just said to me the words, I think, every mother uh, in her wildest dreams or most terrified nightmares does not wish to hear, which is, I've decided to write a memoir. (laughs) (laughs) She has just gotten a retreat at a writer's colony in um, Minnesota. So she's going to spend the month of May working on this memoir, in which I do not think I will figure very much, but I am not persuaded I will come off very well all the same. It's it's actually the essay I wrote about my daughter has a has a kind of dark shadow to it, which I think is probably not obvious from reading it or from reading the book. But um, but the sort of instructions Nikki gave me were, um, what would you tell her? And the thing that I wish to say to my daughter, which I do say in the in the essay, but not perhaps as 
clearly, again, you know, I think that she and I understand this essay in a way that other readers probably will not, is that I think that she's a very, very brave person. And she um, she lost her fiancé shortly after they got engaged to be married on a trip to Thailand in just a, a horrific accident which she witnessed. And, um, and she became, obviously, you know, it had an enormous impact on all of us. It's what her memoir will be about. I did not wish to write about that. I thought that was her material, and and she is writing a book. But she had gotten to a point where she was actually very angry when people told her that she was brave. Uh, she felt that she was being credited for surviving something which was actually kind of unsurvivable, and which she did not think that she had survived. She thought telling her that she was brave at once minimized what she had gone through and what the impact of it was, and also suggested that she'd had some sort of choice in the matter. Um, and I think she is an extremely brave person. So part of what I wanted in the essay was to tell her that although it makes her very angry to hear that, that it is nevertheless true. I, I would like her to understand herself as a very brave person. And there's kind of a, a dark shadow o over your memoir, too. I thought it was just beautifully written That because it was such a perfect example of showing and not telling. As I was reading this and you were describing your mother's behavior, I'm thinking that, that your mother is mentally ill, and, and this proves to be the case, doesn't it? It does. Uh, for me, it was such an it's been so therapeutic to write about it just because, you know, as, as you know, during the time that my mother was sick, I didn't really know she was sick. I was 15, you know, and, and younger, and, you know, she was kind of in her own world, and I was in my own world, and we didn't intersect a lot. And so it's only been recently, through writing about it, and also through having my daughter, it's only been recently that I've been able to really kind of understand what was what was happening in our in our household and you know one of the things that's been amazing to me about about um this book is just that so many people have things in their past that seem unsurvivable and that and that these things are survivable and it's possible to 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 go on and to to live lives that are happy and and rich in possibility. One of the things that I was telling Nikki was that one of the odd outcroppings of this was that I've become the National Embalmers Society and the National Morticians Association. They all link to me now. And I think it is partially because there are so few people that are willing to talk about this somehow. And it's, uh, it's a shame because I think that a lot of people could be helped by understanding the experience and seeing other people go through it. Could you talk a little bit about your experience of, of your mother and, and what happened and, and talk, talk about how that reflects through you to your daughter? Yeah, I think one of the things that... Um, one of the ways that it manifests is that I'm very, very aware of how I am with her all the time. And I'm very aware of not wanting to have her as a peripheral part of my life. It's informed my decision not to go back to work full time. It's informed the way I am with her. I think my natural impulse or, or my kind of familial experience is just to kind of have children off to the sidelines. And so I think where for other people it would be very natural to just kind of 
absorb a child into their life. For me, it's it's been a real process of learning how to be with a child, how to really be with a child. Um, and I think that's because I didn't have that experience with my mother. So in some ways, it's wonderful because I can I can make it up and I can do it my way. And in some ways, I feel like, gosh, I wish I had a better example of how this all of how this all works. But I'm really enjoying my time with my daughter. And I also have a son who's three. And I feel really privileged to get to be home with the two of them and to get to write about them and to really understand them. Nikki, uh, could you talk to me about how it must have felt getting these essays? They're, kind of, they're really pretty powerful stuff. I mean, you, you have Anne's essay, Karen's essay, that was this powerful story of the, the psychiatrist and, and the teacher in the beginning, mm-hmm. which is just really, it's very moving. Didn't that one like kind of knock you on your feet? Sure, it did. Yeah, I mean, I I think I've I found the talent, so I knew that when you know the words would come and they would be brilliant. So I wasn't surprised by that. But um, as Karen said, I I just posed this question: What would you tell your mother or your daughter if you could tell them anything? So these are writers also writing about their mothers and their daughters, obviously. So it's both, and then there's a few grandmothers in there as well. So Karen wasn't the only <laughs> the only one that was. On that with an adult child. So I think in in answering that, you know, the variety of responses weren't surprising and, and the writing wasn't surprising. What surprised me was just the candor, I guess, just that they were able to do it at all, you know. Karen, uh, your your essay is really frank and, and, and kind of raw and funny, too, <laughs> in in your, your wonderful, humorous way, uh, dark. <laughs> I'm... Please, do you think so? I think it's very lightweight and frothy. So, <laughs> uh, could you talk about this experience with taking your daughter to the first grade? Because I, I think it really exemplifies one of the themes of of this. In in reverse, actually, one of the themes of this of this uh, anthology, which is the process of letting go. Well, yes, I, I I'd be happy to, and I think. Um, that I, I will perhaps start with my mother then, uh, because to, to me, one of the interesting things to look back on in the story that I tell um, is how young I was and yet how confident, how self-confident I was as a mother, you know, that which I think comes straight from my own mother and from thinking that I had a really wonderful mother and that I do, in fact, know how to take care of my child in a way that other people do not, so that... Um, my daughter was very shy as a child, and I felt, you know, was kind of leaving the house and going out into the world a bit more slowly than most children, but at a at a natural, perfectly acceptable pace. Um, and then we hit the first grade, and the first grade teacher really just did not approve of my mothering style, which she thought was far too enabling and, you know, far too protective and uh, was just constantly saying to me, you know, you have to push them out of the nest, you have to push them out of the nest. And I would go home and I would think, nobody ever pushed me out of the nest. I don't think so. I don't see the need. Um, and so we had already established this kind of difference of opinion and then my daughter, one day at school, broke her arm. And she had been going to school pretty nicely. I think that she would always have rather stayed home, but she was fine with school. She liked school. And the, the kind of battleground be, between this teacher and I had become my habit of walking her from the car to the, 
to the door of the classroom, which other mothers did not do, and which the teacher really loathed. And so when she broke her arm, she, Shannon went into a kind of tailspin of depression. She no longer wanted to go to school. I went to the teacher to try to talk to her about it. Um, one of the problems seemed to be that the, with her, her right arm broken and she's right-handed, there was just so little that she could actually do. It seemed to me that she was spending a lot of time sitting. Couldn't even twiddle her thumbs. So I thought that perhaps the teacher could think of things you know, could put more effort into thinking of things that would keep her occupied. But the teacher sent me to the school counselor instead because she thought that Shannon had every sign of a clinical depression. So I went thinking that the the counselor and I would be talking about about that, about, you know, what, what could be done to help Shannon. But clearly the teacher had prepped the counselor, and what the counselor planned to talk to me about was my habit of walking her to the classroom door, which was to stop as I said, too, too smothering in some sort of way. And, the, um, and at the same time that I was being given this message by the counselor, my daughter was being given this message from the teacher that this habit I had of walking her in would stop. I, I was so angry. And I, did, and I told the counselor how angry I was, you know, that I felt that I'd been ambushed. And I do feel, actually, by the time I had finished my session with her that she had backed down completely. But the teacher had not, and I picked up Shannon, who was sobbing, because I was not going to walk her in anymore. And I told the teacher that, you know, that that was just not in Shannon's presence, but that that was beyond her authority, I thought. And she said to me, look, she's yours when she's not on the school grounds, but the minute she sets foot on the school grounds, she's mine. And I thought, no, she is not. So I went to the principal and I basically just said, I'm, you know, that I am going to be continuing to walk her in as long as I want it and she wants it. I don't really care what her teacher wants. I think in retrospect, you know, that it's probably a good idea in general to listen to teachers when they tell you what they think your child needs, but it was not my style. Nikki, could you talk uh, about... Um, as an editor, as you're collecting these um, pieces, uh, could you talk about putting them together? Did you, like, have a sense of the flow from one to the other, or did you just, like, kind of toss a coin and say, <clears throat> who's next? Um, I, th I just have to add, I think Karen is still angry. <laughs> yeah, I can sense, I can feel her anger. I don't blame her. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. So uh, the publisher, the publisher puts a lot of... Um, pressure on me to find uh, famous writers because they obviously help sell the collection. So there, there are those, and then uh, then there's um, really talented young writers that I'm trying to, you know, as I did with my last anthology, try to um, to show off their work. So I, I, th I try to make, you know, balance that. I try to balance the name writers who are also, you know, amazing talents in their own right, but, but also um, have some new talent. So it, it, it was kind of the theme, you know, it was kind of, okay, the ages, the age range kind of, I had to look at that in terms of how I wanted to balance the collection. So it was, there were a lot of different elements I was trying to work with. I hope I achieved <laughs> some success. I don't know. Uh, reads very nicely, just yeah. from cover to cover. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lovely read. There's so, so, uh, so many uh, charming and, and interesting and, and, you know, kind of striking points of, of view Thank you. in here. It's a, it's a rather long anthology, though. There are 34 writers. And another thing I wanted to add is that um, 
normally it's usually 20, 25 is usually the range for most anthologies, but I had such a hard time because of the subject matter saying no at some point and cutting. And I was like, okay, that's it, 34, no more. <laughs> no more right now. So that was a little difficult. Well, one of the things I think that's that's quite admirable in all these pieces is that you're talking about a really big subject. I mean, this is motherhood, daughterhood. Mm-hmm. Um, this is life, family, and everything you know. And, and these pieces are all relatively short and compact, yet very powerful. Mm-hmm. Could you talk about... Um, having them achieve that and, and, you know, some of your favorites that that you thought? Well, there were some that resonated with me, obviously, Mm -hmm. more than others. Um, I think um, Catherine Sinner's essay, I'm going to read it tonight here at Capitola Book Cafe, I I really, um, it really spoke to me because she was writing about this idea of feeling like she wasn't a mother yet. Do you know what I mean? Like she was kind of an imposter mother and her mom was the real mom. And I, I certainly felt that in the first few, although I was a confident mother with my daughter and knew exactly, it was very intuitive and knew exactly what to do. For me, it was uh, still like my mom's the real mom and I'm just this, you know, I'm not really a mom, you know, and I, I don't know what that was about exactly. But And then Susan Wiggs' essay, um, she wrote about when she was first starting out as a romance writer and really hungry in her art how she wanted to fight, to study, to struggle, to become this writer so that she could stay at home with her daughter. And uh, that that really resonated with me for so many reasons, and I think mostly because I feel guilty when I'm working a lot of the time and my daughter's there. And so it sort of allayed some of that guilt for me of working. And I, I think it sh- you know I think it's important to me to, sh- to show my daughter that, it, that work is important and that I want to be a role model for her, but I do feel guilty a lot. And so... That essay really spoke to me in that way. And your your mother your your mother uh, committed suicide, and, and could you talk about that experience? And, and does that cause you some worry? I mean, do you worry about yourself? Do you worry about your daughter? I have been assured by a number of therapists that if I have not exhibited schizophrenic symptoms by the time I'm 25 years old, that I'm probably okay. Yeah, you know, in my darkest moments, do I does it? worry me that something will come along just because because for my mother it was it came so out of the blue for me that something out of the blue could happen here and there but you know I don't think so I have a very different set of life circumstances than my mother did and as I say in the piece I feel like the odds were really stacked against my mom she didn't she lived in a country far away from the country that she was raised in she was raised in a family that didn't support women she had a husband who was, you know, possibly the most cheerful guy on earth and was able to put a happy face on everything, which was wonderful in many ways. But there comes a point with schizophrenia that you cannot put a happy face on it. You really have to, you know, dig down and get help and be aware when a crisis is happening. And I think that my father, who was a World War II survivor and who had, you know, a lot of... Um, a lot of drama in his history had, you know, became somebody that was um, unable to really see when bad things were happening because he, you know, again, it's his best and worst quality. He's really unfailingly cheerful. And, you know, and I think in a lot of ways for my mother, it, it must have been very difficult because it, it wasn't real to him and it wasn't real to her daughters. And I think 
what ended up happening for her is that she didn't feel real to him or to us or to anybody. And I think that was tremendously alienating for her. I think it would be for anyone. And, you know, she was somebody who worked very hard. And so there was work and there was her family life and there wasn't a whole lot else, you know. So one of the things that I try to do in my life, one of the things that I'm, I'm really conscious of is just, you know, nourishing myself as a person and making sure that I spend time with people I love and that, you know, I, I'm very conscious about really being with people and connecting with people because I see where that can go. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, Karen? <laughs> Deep thoughts from Anne-Marie Feld. <laughs> Could, could you talk about the process of, of writing your piece and, and keeping it and, and not turning it into a novel? <laughs> uh, nothing is easier for me than not turning things into novels. Uh, I actually have a, a great deal more trouble turning things into novels than not. Um, I, one of the things that that I think has been tricky for me or interesting for me about my writing in general and my writing life and obviously very, you know, very front and center with this piece, but, but always kind of front and center is how easy and happy my relationship with my mother was. My mother was just a really a, a wonderful person, um, also sort of preternaturally cheerful. And as was her mother, as are both her sisters, there's my dad was a very dark and troubled person, and the the kind and I had a very difficult relationship with him. The sort of result has been that I write a lot in fictionalized forms about my father, one way or another. He he is always popping up. My mother is almost never there, but I honestly, if I if I step back and I think about it, I think it's actually more unusual to be, you know, to go through life cheerfully. And, you know, to be sort of up to whatever happens. You know, it's not that my mother did not face her share of problems. She had polio um, from the time that she was three uh, for the rest of her life. You know, she she was uh, m my entire adult life had a, and her entire adult life too, had a, a crippled foot that was very, very obvious. And... Um, and I have I've, have finally written an essay about that. I wrote that some time prior to to this. But that's kind of the first time I've ever been able to, to talk about my mother. There just is nothing to complain about, and therefore, in some ways, very little to say. My aunt, again, you know, this is very much the, the sort of family tradition. My aunt was married to a Jungian psychologist, and told me once that there was a dinner party with him and a number of his colleagues and their wives and husbands and that the conversation turned, as you would imagine it would, to their dreadful mothers and all of the ways in which their mothers had not behaved well and had left scars on them. And when it was my aunt's turn to speak, she said, you know, I really think my mother was terrific. I just really don't have anything really to add and that when the family when the guests went home and she was left with her husband that they had a huge fight he felt it made him look so bad so embarrassing for him professionally to have his wife claim that her mother had done a really good job with her and not left any scars he was they did not the marriage did not survive but 
Um, but I, too, have had a couple of bouts of counseling for various things in my life. And they, my mother is regarded with great suspicion, I must say, every time I try to say, you know, I really think she was great. That their little the hairs on the back of their neck stand up. They think, oh, this is, this is a bigger problem than we imagined. How, how will we get to the bottom of the dreadful, dreadful, dreadful childhood that Karen had? <laughs> <laughs> Nikki, mm-hmm. uh, this brings up an interesting, uh, what Karen says brings up an interesting point, it, is there is this kind of predisposition to look back on our childhood for, for those things that, you the know. Ghosts the ghosts that haunt us. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, um. It's, it's funny, she was talking about women and, and mothers in literature, too, because we had a contest on a blog recently. My best friend blogs at Romancing the Tome, and we asked all of her readers to respond with their favorite mother in literature. And when you look at literature, I mean, there there's Marmy, who was, like, impossibly perfect in Little Women. But then if you think about mothers, I mean, there are not that many... They're, you know, the ones they came up with were all dark. I mean, it was one was like Molly Bloom. And I was like, oh, my God, Molly Bloom is like this, you know, she completely she's a drunk sex pot who ignored her daughter. Like, (laughs) this is who we're coming up with. So, yeah, I think that's funny. But I think the thing about this anthology is that um, no matter what the mothers have gone through or the daughters, for that matter, they accept their mothers and their daughters. You know, that's the one thing I would say, the thread that sort of goes throughout the entire collection. Anne, could you talk about the the process of, of writing your piece? Uh, it, it's it's a really interesting uh, visit through your memory. I, I mean, it's it's like a a tour. Could you? And it can't have been easy to have uh, written. I feel like nothing I write is ever easy to write, and I feel like I went through the same process with this that I do with everything, and that is that I decide very early on that it's not possible to write this thing at all. And with Nikki, it was just, it was, it was so structured. And I don't think I've ever written in, inside such a structure. You know, what would you tell your mother? What would you want to tell your daughter? What have you learned from your daughter? I mean, those three questions. Um, it took me a long time to kind of wrap my head around it and figure out what it is that I wanted to say. And it took, it took actually a lot of thinking about what what it was because there were there were questions there that I hadn't really asked myself and it was it was a wonderful opportunity to kind of work my way through um, what what I would have what I would have wanted my mother to know and what what I would have how I want to be with my daughter Nikki you must feel kind of like a, a therapist yourself <laughs> I am let me tell you I, I could tell you stories you don't you don't have time for but it, it I think my mother's much like this as well and I don't know if this was something she taught me but I'm a good listener and I and I don't know if I'm kind of a collector too I like to go to flea markets and just collect things I, and I think I like to collect stories and I like to collect friends and so I don't know I, I I've I've this is a knack for me. And I don't, I don't know if this is a long-term career being an anthologist. I don't know, but, but I'm enjoying it. Did you talk with any of the, the participants about their, about what they were writing as they were writing it? I emailed them mostly. I mean, I correspond with my contributors more than speak with them on the phone. Occasionally, there'll be one or two uh, that'll want to speak on the phone. And, and it's been surprising. I mean, I have stories there as well. I don't know that I should share, but... Um, oh, dear. I, <laughs> Um, yeah, just I was just thinking of my last anthology, there was a contributor who I spoke with on the phone for 30 minutes, and afterwards I thought, oh, no, I mean, that's going to be... And then I was so, so just completely bowled over when I got her essay, because it was marvelous, you know, but you never know. I mean, it's really, you never know what you'll get, so... 
Karen, one of the things that, that you talk about in, in your essay is traveling. There's a lot of travel in your essay, isn't there? Yes. Well, again, um, I, you know, I, I realize that I did not, I realized a little late that I did not really answer the last question you asked me. I went off on a tangent, which is, in fact, the way I write novels. <laughs> I just go <laughs> off on one tangent after another until I've got enough of them. And it's about 300 pages. <laughs> uh, but yes, um, you know, wh one of the tricky things for me about writing the essay, as I said, I, I had written this essay about my mother. I felt that kind of what I really, really wanted to say about my mother I had said in, a, in an essay that I had p done previously. So I really wanted this one to be about my daughter. I really, as I said, you know, wanted to, wanted to talk to her about about where she was and what she'd gone through in a different sort of way. But also, you know, she's 35 years old now, and so it's very hard to find a, a focus for that, for a relationship which really covers, in many ways, you could argue, both of every aspect of both of our lives, that, um, that you know, there's, there's very little that happens that I can't relate in some way back to my daughter and very little that she can't relate in some way to me. Because I started with this story of how, uh, the, the, the kind of irony of how constantly I was told that I was not pushing her out of the nest and, and what a problem that was going to be for us and her as an adult. And then, you know, the, the, the irony of my daughter who is that she, uh, she's never home. <laughs> I never see her. She, uh, when she went to college, we told her that we could not afford anything out of state. And so she went to San Diego, which is as far as she could go within that stricture. Uh, and she has just never stopped since. Um, because she has traveled so incredibly much, and there's not a continent she hasn't been on. There, She's lived many places. She's just voracious for novelty and for different cultures and different ways of looking at things and different different foods to eat. I feel, you know, kind of in my heart of hearts that that's the person I am too. And yet, when you look at the actual physical record, I appear instead to be the timid person who has trouble leaving the house. So one of the, one of the great gifts of my life and of my daughter has been to travel with her. She is so accomplished at it and so confident and so calm about it all that I too, you know, in her company, I can go anywhere and, uh, you know, am not afraid. So the, I guess the irony is that she's the one who finally pushed me out of the nest and uh, instead of vice versa. Did what you wrote for this anthology inspire some other writing? Do you, does, do the answers to these questions lead you to more questions or to more writing? Um, I don't think at this point, you know, I'm, I'm sort of at a place in, in my writing um, where the answer would have to be no to that question. And, and that, that place is that, that my daughter, as I, as I told you earlier, has just decided to write a memoir for book after book. I have happily plagiarized her life because it's so interesting and so exciting. And, you know, I'm just in my study with the keyboard and my various political blogs trying to 
return to whatever novel I'm writing. So, you know, to the extent that there is anything sort of autobiographical in my novels, it tends much more often to be her autobiography, her autobiography, and not my own. Um, I should, I, I, I wish to clarify very, wish everyone to understand that I would never publish anything she was uncomfortable with, and that she reads everything I write before it goes out, and if there were any difficulty at all, I would not use it. But she has been the basis, and her life has been the basis for many, many things that happen in my books. And I am now thinking, I can't do that anymore. She wants to be a writer herself. She is probably going to want her own life back, especially since she's writing a memoir. I feel quite confident that she is going to now wish to have her own material for herself. And I don't know what <laughs> quite what to do about that. I, I am, I guess, at the moment looking... Uh, pretty actively for friends who will <laughs> go and have adventures for me but have no desire to write about them. Hopefully friends with really, really poor judgment. That's what I'm really <laughs> looking for. You're going to have to let her leave the nest. Yes. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Finally. There she goes. Anne, uh, could you tell me, when you finished writing this, did this, what you wrote, suggest something else that you might want to write or somewhere else you might want to go in your memory? You know, I, I feel pretty consumed right now with my two kids, and so I, I, I have to say I, I haven't been doing a lot of writing lately. I have a few little pieces that I've, been, that I've been working on, but I've been really involved in my kids' preschool, and I've been just kind of consumed with being a mom, and I'm really enjoying that for right now. And, and Nikki, mm -hmm. um, You've got this anthology done, and you have another one in the can. I do, yeah. <laughs> uh, where do you go from, from here? I have a father-daughter anthology coming out next May, and it has Adam Gobnick, T.C. Boyle. A lot of great writers are in it. Steve Almond, Chris Bajalian, um, and it's been it's been really fun working with men, I have to say. <laughs> it's been quite a departure, because I've always done these very women-themed books. So it's been interesting for me to, to finally work with men. I've been speaking with Nikki Richardson, Karen Joy Fowler, and Anne-Marie Feld. Thank you for joining me, ladies. Thank, Thank you. you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. <laughs>